Good morning, planet Earth. Good morning, Scrumbo. Good morning, ancient priest. Good morning, Vestal Virgin. Coven your, yourself in the oils. It is May the 30th, 2022, in the time and age and location of Bo Blimpdonk. It's right around 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time here in the fine Mormon state of Utah. And I'm just hanging out, man. It's Memorial Day, right? And what should we think about on Memorial Day? We should think about those veterans that died in wars, right? Veterans that were killed in wars. And since the United States hasn't really declared any kind of a legal war-type operation according to the laws of war in quite a long time, it's sort of hard to understand how you would celebrate anybody other than, I'd say, I don't know, a victim of perhaps the Vietnam War, maybe. Not sure that counts as a war. Maybe the Korean War, possibly. Not sure that counts as a legal war. Perhaps World War II counts as a kind of legal war if you believe all the details about how it started, about how the United States got involved. Okay, I don't think we celebrate Memorial Day for mercenaries. I don't think we do. I'm not saying mercenaries are good people or bad people, but if you're being paid by some black bag operation to go around killing people for money, that's fine, that's a, that's a job. Not sure that's a very good job, but it's a job. But I'm not sure we remember you. So the question is, given the absence of legally declared wars and given it's the year 2022, who are you going to go celebrate on Memorial Day? That's a recent memory. There are lots of people that have gotten killed. Tens of thousands of people were killed in the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Of course, that's a smaller number than Vietnam. Of course, that's a smaller number than the Korean War. But it's still not a tiny number. There are towns in this country that have 10,000 people. And you might have asked the question on 9-11, is it a good exchange to kill 10,000 Americans to achieve some sort of revenge against a nebulous and ambiguous operation that we spent very little time researching? Very, very little time. I mean, basically, we started melting down the evidence the day after 9-11, really. So what are you celebrating today? It is, I think, important to remember people that have died. And, and I think it's mostly for the living. But I think the problem with Memorial Day and Veterans Day and all of these days that we celebrate that involve warfare is that we end up celebrating the warfare as much as we remember the people that are gone. The reality is that, you know, for every American life that's been lost in combat since World War II, probably 10, 15, 20 innocent people were killed. We're not talking about combatants. I'm not talking about Viet Cong or 
Al-Qaeda, which is somehow our ally now in Syria. Not talking about that. I'm talking about men, women, and children whose lives are destroyed, who are forced to become refugees, who don't have access to medicine or electricity, whose children starve to death who, or are blown up. We're talking about people that never wanted that fucking war, never desired it, had no interest in it. If you believe the rhetoric of our government, they never had a fucking choice. So clearly, these are people that were simply going to be destroyed, and there is no Memorial Day for them. There should be. There should be a day remember a plane of civilians that gets shot down. There should be a day remember a ship that accidentally gets blowed up. There should be a day we remember an American citizen overseas that gets taken out by a drone strike. There should be a day we remember that, I think, given the numbers of people that have been killed. There should be a day we remember all of the people alive now in Southeast Asia with cancer and autoimmune disease from all the... Tons and tons, millions of tons probably, definitely thousands of tons of poisonous material we sprayed over Southeast Asia in the 1960s and 1970s. They will have birth defects in their family lines for thousands of years. They will have children that never actually get born or are born without a brain, so essentially born dead. There will be the cancer and the disease, and all of this, and is there a Memorial Day for them? And the answer is no. It's, it's fine and good to celebrate your soldiers, and if you, celebrate the, if you celebrate them in a free republic, which is what this country was supposed to be, and they're actually fighting to defend freedom, I think there is something worthy to celebrate. But that's not the story. That's not the history. That's not what happened. In the history of the American combat soldier, it is often more likely than not that they are working for shady agendas and basically taking out ordinary poor people. You know what bothers a lot of people about the Russian invasion of Ukraine? Because it's happening where the good white people live. That's what bothered people about Yugoslavia. Compare and contrast. Yugoslav Civil War. All harumph, harumph, harumph. But 1994 in Rwanda, when we knew from satellites, we knew from intelligence that there was going to be a massive slaughter in that country, that millions of people were going to be killed very quickly. We had every opportunity where we could have done something. We did nothing. Okay, we did nothing. It, it, it's interesting where our standards are. When it comes to stealing oil from poor people, a.k.a. Syria, a.k.a. going on right now, today, okay, when it comes to ripping off poor people who don't have quite totally white skin, we do a great fucking job. When it comes to rounding up Native Americans, our military has quite a fucking history. But God forbid any nation try to kill good white people in any form whatsoever. When you think about it, the outrage over the Russian invasion of Ukraine is kind of racist. It really is. Right now in Syria, United States forces are guarding oil derricks. They're guarding resources. They're guarding shit that we are stealing. 
That's not something heroic. That's not fighting for freedom. That's fighting to rip people off. And in the process, we're starving out the Syrian people. That's right. Starvation is part of our strategy in Syria. Tell me about the heroism of that. Tell me what we remember about that. Explain that to me. I served in a, in a uniform once. I was in the military. Explain to me how stealing people's shit is fighting for freedom. And the next time you complain about a rioter or a jogger or somebody ripping off a store in your downtown special neighborhood, understand your government leads by fucking example. And it has no issue stealing people's shit. So what are you celebrating today? If you're celebrating someone you lost in a recent war, that's fine. Don't celebrate it, mourn it. Remember it, be at peace with it. But I don't think celebrating is necessarily a great, a great way to respect anybody's memory, especially those that are dead. Sorry for that rant, but I have come full circle on this issue of these celebrations of veterans, and what I've come to realize is it's really a way to keep the war machine going. And I've realized this mostly in the last 10, 20 years, that it is a way to keep the war machine supplied with people. And so far, the United States in recent decades hasn't suffered terrible losses. I mean, we've suffered losses, and boy, there are a lot of suicides going on, and a lot of people with PTSD. But, um, yeah, there's no Memorial Day for that, though, is there? Is there a Memorial Day for suicides? Is there a Memorial Day for PTSD? Is there a Memorial Day for a Navy SEAL that goes berserk and kills his or her family? Is there a Memorial Day for that? And the answer is no. There isn't. It's what happens. It's reality. It's part of the debris and the wreckage of war. But there's no remembering the fact that people's lives are shattered. And then the question comes up. The question comes up for every soldier, whether they served in combat or served in peacetime. What the fuck was I doing? Who was I protecting? Who was I helping? I mean, if I learned anything from my year plus in Korea, I learned that a lot of what was going on with military forces in Korea in the 1990s was a lot of fraud, a lot of lying, a lot of cheating, a lot of stealing, a lot of weird rinky-dink business between the local Korean population and the military bases. A lot of things that would not be classified as honorable were going on. And there was some training, there was some preparation, but to pretend that we were ready for total war was a kind of fantasy in people's heads. We weren't. And I, I don't know what to say. You know, people say you shouldn't have a, an opinion like this on a day like this. Um, when are we supposed to? You know, every other day of the year? We should probably every day of the year including Memorial Day, perhaps mostly on Memorial Day and Veterans Day, we should remember and ask questions. We should ask questions, why are we doing this? Not just, you know, remembering the people that are dead, but why? We should learn. I think it is honorable for the people that are gone to learn from our mistakes so that nobody has to be, you know, remembered on Memorial Day ever again. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be great?
Sadly, I don't think that's on the menu. I guess you could say I've been trying to avoid the topic of the Ukraine in recent weeks because I don't, I don't know a lot about it. I don't know who to trust. I've been listening to this Gonzalo Lira guy who is ostensibly in Ukraine right now, but I don't even know if that's true. I just don't know. A lot of the stuff on YouTube that is approved by YouTube, if it's on it, it's approved by it. Take it from someone who's been banned, deleted, shadow banned. If it's on YouTube, it is approved. It is approved by the deep state. It is a message they want you to hear. So I've been listening to some of his stuff, and some of his stuff makes sense, but I still don't really know what's going on there. I still don't have a trustworthy primary reference in my life that can give me any honest information. What I have is a lot of bullshit, okay, about the Russians and about the Ukrainians. And who knows how much of this is real? You know, you are living in the United States of America in 2022, and you are told that all of Australia is in a prison camp, and China is locked down. The entire cities are locked down. You are told that chicken plants are being hacked. You are told that, you know, basically they can't get fertilizer for food. I mean, you're told they're running out of eggs. You're told a lot of shit, but how much of it is true? How much of it is real? I don't know. I don't know. I've been telling people in recent months that one metric that might be kind of real is a very basic metric, and that is the price of gasoline and diesel fuel. And I would add aviation fuel. The price of those materials is going to have a real effect. It already is. Clearly, access to fertilizer is a real issue, okay? If you can track that subject in a reliable way, that's, that's something that's interesting. That's going to help you understand what's going on. And just going to your grocery store can be a real experience that can help you understand the truth of the Ukraine and China and Australia and all the other nonsense they keep pumping over and over again. But there's not a lot you can hold on to as far as useful information. Like I said, the price of a gallon of diesel might be one of the few interesting data points at this point in human history because it's accessible to everyone and there's a point at which it's hard to lie about it. Like you really can't lie about it. You can you can you can tell little stories, you can you can certainly use a lot of um you know financial ledger domain, a lot of you know three-card Monty to try to confuse people about diesel. But the fact is, the price of diesel fuel and gasoline stares you in the fucking face. And so it is probably the only data point, other than the price of food, that's really going to tell you the true story. And the true story is we're slipping towards something. And it's not pretty. We're not slipping towards uh, an economic recovery, all right? And right now, the, the current delusional thinking is, well, it's going to be a recession or stagflation. No, you're still bargaining, buddy. You really, really are. 
stagflation, recession, depression, hyperinflation. These are all things that require a quasi-functioning economy to even happen. Like to actually have hyperinflation, you need the economy to function on some level. But I think what we're heading towards is complete dysfunction, okay? Um, we're heading towards a scenario where you could go to the grocery store for two or three weeks in a row and the stock market might keep going up. You're, you and your kids could start starving to death and your Bitcoin might get bigger for a while, right? Maybe. I mean, all these things are possible because of the level of deception. And the fact that we're not a free enterprise economy, there are no real markets, there's no real price discovery. So, you know, I think maybe food and diesel and gasoline is what you're stuck with in the Soviet Republic of America, if you want to understand what's going on, what the situation is. I think the Ukraine makes another great excuse. We ain't got no wheat, we ain't got no food, we can't get no fuel because of that fucking Putin. And, it's, and just a few years ago, Obama was bragging about how we were energy independent. Just a few years ago, Obama and Trump were breaking up the fracking. So why should there be a fucking issue? For my entire lifetime, American politicians have bragged on our agricultural system. So why should there be issues with food? For the last 30 years, all the technocrats of the inner circles have bragged on globalism. Globalism's reliable. Globalism will get you your shit. Globalism means you'll... Yeah, you know what? It turned out to be bullshit. Like it always was going to turn out to be. It's bullshit. It turned out to be Stalinism by another name. But man, did they brag on it for so long, didn't they? Impervious, unstoppable, unless and until it, it is stopped, right? You know, and, and you know, actually permeated and <laughs> yeah, perforated. I don't know what to say about Memorial Day. I don't know what to say about people who are missing somebody. It is sad to lose somebody, but I, I think that if you're gonna take Memorial Day seriously, you should also pray for and try to remember all the innocent people that were, that were destroyed. Otherwise, what you're really trying to remember and memorialize is the glory of war. You're not trying to be remembering of the, of the dead because there were many dead. It wasn't just your loved one. It was a lot of other people. A lot of people who never ever wore a uniform or volunteered for shit. They did not want to participate in that game and they still lost. In fact, men, women, and children are basically the great losers of military history. They're the losers. Yes, there are victors, yes, there are the defeated, but the real losers of the last 7,000 years of warfare are innocent men, women, and children who didn't want to have one fucking thing to do with it. And it's not to say you, there aren't times to fight, but it's not to steal people's shit, brothers and sisters. That's not a good reason to go to war. In fact, that's considered a war crime. You know, in, in times past, 
invading Syria and stealing their oil would be considered a war crime. Today, I don't know if anybody even understands the concept of a war crime. In fact, I think the military-industrial complex would like to convince you that a war crime is anybody who doesn't want to go to war. You don't want to go to war. That's a crime. You don't want to buy our weapons. That's a crime. That's a crime, baby. You don't want to participate in the great melee of murder and destruction, the bombs going off, the missiles hitting targets, fragmentary weapons, flamethrowers, you name it. You don't want to participate in that? That's a crime, baby. That's a war crime. You don't want to participate, you hooker. But what will follow? What will follow the great Russia-Ukraine war of 2022, Bo Blimtok? Will it be World War III or World War IV? Will it be World War V where we finally get the dogs that have the superintelligence like in a boy and his dog? Will it be World War VI or World War VII where we discover new types of proteonic weapons and protein goos and other types of sleepeth guns that shoot out a drink as fluid and cover you in splunctus. After World War X or World War XII, the Scrogon Wars will begin. There will be at least eight Scrogon Wars. They will be fought over ginkus meat and triblings, the leftovers from the second harvest of corn kernels and undigested carrots. All of the leavings and production wastage from the protein plants for the last of the chickens are processed. During those first Grogon Wars, you'll eat stew made of monkus and mold. You'll boil in the hot sun like a gumbo freak. Your eyes will be glassy and red. Your rebus pipe will close off, sealing off your poop pipe. All your poop begins to excrete through your sores. Following this, the nine hooker armies will encircle Brinkentown. Queen Bustia of the 8th Grinken military force will move her special forces of wenches. Yes, her special forces of barmaidens, her hookers and prostitutes. They'll take over the castle. <laughs> 
they'll meet you on Sunday. When Sclebo Jones rides high in the sunset and Terry the Jokeroni gets his hamburger helper startup going, what will you do, buddy? What will you do? When the dongleberries turn green and then ripen, after the Schlungus birds fly away down south to feed upon the decaying corpses of old men and young hooker princes, then you'll know. I was a Torgan herder with Vladimir Putin in the time of ape priests. We fed on bat meat and chased jungle women and suckled upon the trangle fruit as we rubbed ancient spices on our nads. Late in the evening, we would ride elephants covered in gold and diamonds. Little jungle children would light firecrackers and hand out chiclets. The caves would be revealed, and the nastiest hole would find peace. Peace deep in the hole. Goodbye, Hillary Clinton. When Genghis Tool finds the lost cup and fills it to the brim with blood ape juice, then the queen of Hooker City will be at one with total victory. Negus, the infiltrator, he will be taken to Becca's door for trial and strung up like a Cleveland freak, being eaten alive by mutated gentle crabs. And your hooker wife, what shall she say? Why don't you support the Ukraine? Huh, hooker wife, why don't you go in the kitchen and make me a sandwich? 89 scrit ago, when the tailors of tilapia made ice pants and corsets of steel. During the age of Bojimbus, when Tyre was burned and Carthage ravaged by busty nuns of Dunbar. We hired our own robot slaves to clean out the gilly pipes and massage the dringle.
We made guns out of potatoes and hid them in our butt crack. And Jillian fertility was to be had if you could get the coinages. I did not fear the muskrat or the owl. I, but I did fear the wretched sadness turned to old wine and misery. Emerald queens, you had your jungle realm. Untold nightmares, storms haunted, crammed between Norgus and Trog. Sasquatch are 15 feet tall now. They chase busty women down your street as the joggers ravage Grinkentown. Fifty nurses, that's right, fifty. Fifty fisty nurses with tired eyes handed out curses to all. Genial soldiers handed out lead until everyone was dead. Though That's how the Scrogon Wars go, baby. That's how the Battle of the Scrogon Wars proceeds. Till everyone's gone. Nothing but bone day awaits you. You can hear the dogs bark to that at night now. You can hear the dogs wailing and barking towards the sign of Bone Day. They're awaiting their feast. They will shed one tear, but they will smile as they gnash down on that marrow. By the year of Gumptus, all buying and selling will happen with Troglord coins. You will buy your gallon of protein slurry from old Dingus Protein Emporium. You will savor that lukewarm, greasy mixture in a cold, damp room hidden from the sight of God. Your mind will begin splitting and ripping. Your heart will become cobalt and deranged. Angry hordes will hunt you for your nad fragrance and sell your eel carcass to hookers in Sector 44. That's right, angry hordes. Wearing leather, they're hunting your nad oil. They're hunting your nad grease. And all of this will be made possible by Bitcoin. Yes, the Scrogon Wars will be amazing. A lot of very interesting things will happen to interesting people. I'm sure there'll be a Memorial Day for the Scrogon Wars. Maybe, if anybody's left alive. I have had people ask me um, about, 
you know, where I live. Like, where do you live? Well, I live in Utah, and I, and that's about as much as I want to say. You know, I mean, I don't really care if people figure out my address, but I'm not going to make it easy for them. And the fact is, I kind of like my privacy. So if someone comes to visit me, it's as likely as not that I'll just sort of meet them someplace else, maybe at a gas station, maybe at the hooker parlor, maybe in that alley near the liquor store, maybe where all the Mormon missionaries huddle in those dark nights of the heart, somewhere near that old shut-down diner that used to sell something called meat. If you want to meet me where I live in Utah, It might be a lot like that Craigslist ad. If you want a sofa, a free sofa, meet me at my farm at 1 a.m. Here's a quote from Dr. Freckles. I don't care where I live, I can hate people anywhere. Now what does that mean exactly? Well, here's what it means to me. This quote from Dr. Freckles. I'll drink some water first. I don't hate everybody. I don't hate all people. In fact, I try not to hate at all, but that, that would be a lie. I Hate enters my heart when it comes to certain people. Most of these are people I don't really know. So in reality, they're it's kind of like hating a, a wax figure or a mannequin. It's kind of like hating a statue. There's no real way to connect the hate to anything. But, you know, you shouldn't hate anybody, right? You should try to love people. Jesus wants us to find peace and love, even with the most despised. Now, Jesus sat down with hookers, and Jesus sat down with tax collectors, and Jesus sat down with soldiers, and Jesus sat down with thieves and murderers. He did. He sat down with the worst of the worst. He sat down with everyone, but here's the thing. Jesus also cast out demons. Jesus also was at war with the devil. Jesus was also demanding that we be at war with evil. And when Jesus saw crooked people doing crooked shit in the house of the Lord, Jesus was not beyond tipping over tables. Jesus wasn't beyond bullwhipping people. In fact, Jesus would chase your nasty, wretched, money-changing ass out of the temple seven days a week and twice on Sabbath. Jesus wants us to find peace. But the problem is you can't find peace with evil. You really can't. There is no way to sit down at the table with the devil and say, how do we make peace? There isn't. For all of the really interesting depictions of Lucifer of late in American pop culture, all of the depictions of Lucifer is almost a character worthy of our understanding, so to speak. Um, 
you never really get to the truth of it, and that is Lucifer hates people. He hates all people. He doesn't love them. He doesn't love you. He doesn't love me. Lucifer hates his followers probably the most. Because, in part because they're so fucking stupid. Because they think that somehow by following the devil, they'll be okay. See, I don't know that I'm going to heaven because I'm not presumptuous. I don't pretend. I don't play pretend. I have faith in God. I try to live the kingdom life, but most days I fuck it up. And so I don't play the pretend game, saying, oh, I know I'm going to heaven. I know that I'm saved. I know that I can be saved. I know that through faith I am saved, but I don't have the presumption to pretend that I know exactly what's going to happen. Between now and my death, there's this thing called free will. And as long as I can make choices, I can make good ones, I can make bad ones, and I can make worse ones. And if you ask me, there are some choices that are so bad that it's hard to believe faith is a factor. Like, there are some choices you can make that are so terrible that there's almost no way to profess faith at that point because you have proven yourself faithless. You know, people who abuse children, for example. Maybe there's redemption. I don't know. The problem with child abuse is that it is the kind of abuse that cascades through time. It's the kind of abuse that gets passed around like, a, like an actual, you know, disease, like a plague. One parent abuses a child, and then that child goes off and grows older, and hopefully they get over it. But in a lot of cases, they end up becoming abusive themselves. They leave behind a wreckage in their lives as well, and that continues and continues and continues until who knows when, until the Shkrogon Wars, right? Until World War Twelve, maybe? Then it's over? I can live anywhere. I can live in the desert. I can live in the jungle. I could live in Antarctica if I had the money. <laughs> Man, I'd like to get one of those condos. I know there are condos in Antarctica. I could live there too. Because I can despise the human race at any location. misanthrope. I'm not. Because I really care about the people I live with right now. Um, it's kind of scary how much I do because, you know, I didn't know them a year ago. And today, um, I consider them family. I'm not sure that I'm the best, you know, brother to have in that particular situation, but I know that I am blessed to have a place of peace, a place of refuge, a place to sojourn. Um, but you put me in a city, any city, and I would just assume at this point have nothing to do with most of the people. Most of the people at, at this point are alien to me. The things that they're interested in are weird to me, and they seem pointless and destructive. And there's nothing healthy about staying around people that are toxic. There isn't. 
If you're of the opinion, well, Dan, you just hang out the toxic people and you can change them. No, not at this point. One of the best um, indicators, in my opinion, along with the price of diesel and food, but one of the best indicators that we are on the verge of the next shoe dropping, the next big jarring transition, and I don't know what it'll be. Maybe it will be a nuclear war, but if it is, that's, it, I don't know. I, I don't think it's going to be. But I do think we're on the verge of this next jarring step in the great discontinuity. And to me, one of the best indicators is the level of um, just complete freezing, complete closeness to any other idea than the paradigm that keeps a person alive. Or not even keeps them alive, but keeps them happy, which for some people is the same thing. Keeps them accepting their situation. People have, have just become immovable in their belief systems at this point. So if someone says to me, well, couldn't you go to the city and be a positive person there? No, no. We're too close, okay? The people that live close to the dam, the people that live close to that dam need to believe that that dam will never fail. And the closer you live to it, the more you need to believe it. You need to believe it, especially if you live in the shadow of it, especially if that dam breaks and you're one of the first people to get drowned. You have to believe that that dam will never fail. It's part of the psychology of it. You do, you need to. So at this point, I don't think there's changing minds. Um, the great thing about being here where I'm at in Utah, it's very rural, not as many people, which means not as many assholes. And also, I think in communities like this, the good people stand out. They do. You, you, you can remember them. You can identify them. And in that sense, they can become more of the majority in terms of influencing others than the dirtbags, the jackasses, the people that simply want everyone to feel pain and destruction. Those people are mostly living in the cities. They're the ones who are protesting for war. Oh, we're protesting for the Ukrainians. No, you're protesting for general dynamics, you fuck. We're protesting for the Ukrainians. No, you're protesting to help Raytheon, you fucker. That's what you're protesting for. That's what you want. I don't need that. I can despise people like that from anywhere. Any place on the planet, a jungle, a swamp, on board a boat, I can do it in a plane and I can eat green eggs and ham and I can despise those people from anywhere. So why would I live around them? The Lord in heaven wants us to be peacemakers. The Lord in heaven wants us to find a place of love with all of our brothers and sisters. But the Lord in heaven never put down a place setting for the devil. The Lord in heaven never said, invite that demon to dinner. The Lord in heaven never said there was a place of mediation with evil. There is none. You can't broker a peace treaty with evil. You can fight it. You can avoid it. And you can become consumed by it and become evil yourself, but you're never going to make peace with it. So the best thing you can do, the most rational thing, if you don't want to get stuck going around harming people, right? If you don't want to be stuck as some sort of weird vigilante, the best thing you can do is avoid it. Like Dr. Freckles said, I don't care where I live. I can hate people anywhere.
Here's another quote from Dr. Fe Dr. Freckles. Another quote from Dr. Freckles, baby. I fail at everything, including giving up or giving in, Dr. Freckles. Well, what does that mean? Well, I was thinking about, you know, my life the other day. And if you've ever read the book Factotum by Charles Bukowski, I think that book comes closest to describing me and my life. I'm not saying I'm exactly like that, probably only 60%. But 60% of Henry Chinaski is 120% of exciting and sexy and adventurous and amazing, right? If you want to understand me, if you ever do, that's a good book to read, Factotum. It's not a long read. It's not a difficult read. It's not terribly complicated. And you'll learn a lot about me. It wasn't written about me. It's ostensibly autobiographical, which means it was really Charles Bukowski writing about himself. But when I first read Factotum, and it was about crap, it was eight years ago. When I read Fact Factotum eight years ago, the first thing that struck me is that this reminds me of my life. Not exactly, not precisely, but a lot of rambling and scrambling between failures and mediocrity to end up somewhere. And I can't tell you that there's a path. I, I've begun to understand in the last 10 years that there might be one, but it's not related to like the job career thing. Um, it's, more, it's more likely related to God, as all of our paths are. But... Yeah, I fail at everything, but I, I don't give up. And that's one of the things about Factotum. It is a story of failure in, in a sense, but it's also a story of the obstinance, the powerful denial of causality, the willing to say, yeah, I'm a failure, but I'm not giving up. I'll fail at everything. I'll fail at jobs. I'll fail at relationships, I'll fail at love, I'll fail at a lot of things, but I won't give up. That's the one thing I won't fail at. I'll fail to give in, I'll fail to give up. I simply won't give up. I will fail at everything, including the desire to not try. Because you gotta keep trying until you're dead. That's also part of the story. You can stop trying, you can just lay them down and die, and there are probably situations in the existence of life where doing that makes sense. If you find yourself as a pigeon in a Skinner box being tortured every day, a reasonable option is to go, into, to, the, go to the corner of your cage and just die, just starve to death. That's a reasonable option. No one's going to write a study about you, fine. Um, but that is a choice, and I, I respect that choice. You know, the prisoner always has a choice of death. The prisoner does. In some form, in some way, the prisoner can choose to die. And if you are a prisoner, and if you are being tortured, and if there is no way out, I can't judge you for giving up. But if there is a glimmer of light, if there's a possibility, if there is a chance in hell, why not be stubborn? Why not be stubborn, even if you feel pathetic? Even if you feel like a failure, oh shit, I tried this and it didn't work. I tried that and it didn't work. Keep trying. Try something else. Don't stop trying. Don't stop looking for a way through. It's part of the thing that makes you human.
always succeeding, always winning, that's a sociopath thing. And really, that's reserved for God. But to be human is to make mistakes. To be human is to fail. And to stay human is to fail at giving up, which means that to stay human, you don't give up, even though you screw up. There are things in this life I think you can do that are almost irredeemable, beyond redemption. Like I said, I think that there are forms of child abuse that seem beyond redemption to me. I don't see how you get through it. I think that when you murder somebody, unless you're doing it in self-defense, I think it's really hard to get through that. I, I don't see how you do that that easily. You know, People who read the Bible will remark upon the story of David the story of the great king, the story of the slayer of Goliath. But the fact is, David also, in one fell swoop, out of respect for his loins and not God, broke pretty much every single commandment. One time. And it may, have not, it may not have been the only time he, he was a sinner, but when you break pretty much every commandment in one action, that's pretty amazing in terms of, you know, fucking up. And you could say, well, David should have just gone to some, you know, cave and starved himself. Or David should have jumped into a canyon. David should have simply given up at that point. And as bad as what David did, murdering a friend to steal uh, his friend's wife, as bad as that is, and as crappy as that is, and all the lying he did, and all the disrespect he did, as bad as that was... You kind of have to say, okay, get through it, find redemption. You know, maybe, maybe there's a prophet that can help you. Maybe there's someone that can counsel you, but find a way through. If you're human, you're going to make mistakes. If, if you're a person like me, you might look at your life and say, it's just a collection of mistakes. One fuck up after another, one attempt at this life that didn't work out after another. But the other way of looking at it is there's a lot of examples of things you could try and that didn't work out. You learn from them, hopefully. I mean, it would be a bad idea to make the same mistake over and over again, but there's nothing wrong with making completely brand new mistakes. There isn't. And if you think the story of the good life is the person that dies with a pile of shit, surrounded by a smiling family that's wealthy and rich, if you think the ultimate version of human existence exists within the pop culture of the United States of America, you're deeply confused. Yes, it is good to be rich. It is good to be wealthy. It is good to be famous, I suppose. I, I don't know about that. It is good to have a wife and a family. It is good to have found love and to be loved. But it's also okay if none of those things happened. And it does not mean your life is worthless if none of those things happened. If you didn't meet the criteria that our current system defines as success, I wouldn't consider that failure. I mean, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I don't think it's failure. You ever go to a party with relatives and they look at you and they say, you look really fit. You look like you've been working out, Dan. 
You look really good. You look fit. What are you doing? What are you doing, Dan? How did you lose all that weight? Did you go on that new P90 program? Are you trying out yoga? Are you eating lots of kale? Did you just buy a juicer? Have you begun to give yourself enemas, Dan? Are you taking a plastic tube? Are you shoving it up your butt? Are you pumping it full of coffee grounds? And red wine vinaigrette? What are you doing, Dan? Are you using anal flinctus? Are you consuming the soils of Syria? Are you drinking that mud water? Have you found the ancient salts? Are you consuming them every day? You look fit, Dan. Did you go to that weird shop and buy the pair of unbearable pain? That old cast iron thing you shoved it up your bunctus pipe? You first heated it on the fires. It turned glowing red and then you put it there. You look so fit. You look like you're taking care of yourself. You look like you've found a new water purifier. 
It takes out all the microplastic, the strontium. It removes the barium and the aluminum. It removes everything from your water. It looks like you're eating carrots, Dan. It looks like you're on a keto diet. Have you gotten into paleo, Dan? Have you treated yourself with the worm treatment? You consume worms on purpose, Dan. You can see them wriggling in your shit pile. They're there to help you, Dan. They're there at their life. If you listen to this podcast and you enjoy it, um, that's great. Great news. I appreciate it. Uh, I, I think it's great if you can recommend it to others you think that might like it. I know that's scary because people will say you're scary because you listen to it. But if you like this podcast or any of these podcasts, feel free, please feel free to recommend it to others. Um, if you've donated to me in the past, you're not obligated to ever donate again. I have some very generous donors who do donate more than once, but I am too poor to say no. I probably would say no if I wasn't so poor, but it's their money and I give them fair warning. And it's the same warning I give you that now is a time to prepare. Uh, to prepare psychologically, to prepare spiritually. I think now is a time to prepare in terms of your physical surroundings. You know, if you want an analogy from the Bible, it's a lot like Passover. It, it, this is a time of preparation. This is a time of unleavened bread. This is a time of hasty meals. This is a time to be ready. And I'm not, I'm not sure what you need to be ready for, except that maybe you need to be ready for the possibility that your entire world will be, you know, be turned upside down. And for a lot of people, this has already happened. There were people in 2019 that had businesses, strong businesses. They had coffee shops, they had diners, they had bicycle shops. Maybe they even made custom bicycles. There were people in 2019 that had a life. They had a family. Things were working out for them. Maybe that wasn't reality. Maybe that was that stranded skier, you know, that's in an unconscious state. But for them, it was real. And then 2020 came along and their business was destroyed. Someone they cared about committed suicide. Their loved one didn't treat their diabetes and had a heart attack and died. And now they spend each day staring into the bleakness of space and wondering why they're here. Their worlds got turned upside down, completely upside down. Their expectations of the future were destroyed. My advice for many people right now with respect to the present and the future is just be ready to accept the possibility that everything you know is wrong. Be ready to accept the possibility that everything you think is solid will turn out to be fluid and, and basically, you know paper and 
garbage and there'll be nothing there. Be prepared for things to disintegrate. These are things that, you know, I recommend. And if you are prepared mentally and physically, if you've done the things you need to do as far as due diligence, and also are mentally prepared in the sense that you know that no matter what the fuck you do, chances are you're still not ready. That's a sign you are ready. I know that sounds like a paradox. If you've done all these things, and you've taken care of the people you love, and you've helped them out, and you want to donate to Uncle Dan's crazy-ass podcast, you feel free. I am not going to you know, refuse your money, all right? The reason why I do this at the end, and I don't always do it, is because I want you to have the option to shut it off anytime before you ever hear me beg for money. If you get this far into the podcast and you hear me beg for money, fine. And you have a little bit of cash, go ahead. I'm not going to say I don't care, but in a sense, I don't care, I guess. I mean, every single day of quasi-normality at this point feels like a gift, in a way. It's a chance to take a breath. And I know there are people out there that will give you glad tidings of techno-future, and I wish I was one of those people, but I'm not. I don't think it's the end of the world. But the problem is people have tied their world to things that always end. You know? Whether I'm a good Christian or a bad Christian, I can tell you this. There are things in this world you can hold on to, but they're not about the world. I know that sounds like a paradox, too. There are things you can hold on to that have solidity, that have permanence, that have imminence, that have a general connection to everything in your life, but they are not of this world. But if you are basing your entire existence upon things that are of this world, then you will always be disappointed. Always. For all time, you will be going from one disappointment to the next. So my suggestion is understand the things that change. Understand the things that mostly don't. Look out for the people you love and prepare. Now is the time of Passover. Now is the time of unleavened bread. Now is the time of the hasty meal. Now is the time to be ready, but I can't tell you for exactly what. In 2019, I told my listeners this. I said, it is now. It is the great discontinuity. But I also said, that really just means it's a Pandora's box kind of situation. Almost anything can happen. Doesn't mean it will happen. And a lot of the things on the menu don't look so good. The example I used in 2019 and before 2019 when discussing this issue, but the example I used when I raised my alarm was a kind of thought experiment involving a hang glider. You like the you, you like hang gliding? You want to go hang gliding? You want to go to a cliff? You want to go to what? Bristol? Go to the white cliffs of maybe Dover? I don't know. Let's say you're on some cliffs facing an ocean, and the ocean is nearly infinite in length, so it's an abstract ocean. You're on a cliff overlooking an ocean, an ocean that stretches to the horizon, to infinity. And in this ocean, there are islands, little islands. They're not that big, surrounded by water that is filled with great white sharks. And the closest islands to you are things labeled nuclear war, collapse, famine, all the islands that are pretty close to the cliff are pretty terrible, including the water around them filled with fucking sharks. 
So you jump off this cliff with your hang glider and you're gliding and there are islands way, way out in the distance. You can barely see them. And they're labeled things like, you know, um, space flight, faster than light space travel, superconduction, um, prosperity and happiness and joy. And these are wonderful islands of technological possibility, but they're several hundred miles out there. They're way out there. In fact, you can't really see them without that magical telescope on the cliff, but you know they're there. You know they're there. They're out there. They're over the horizon. They're over the curve. Now, when you're gliding, there's something called a thermal, and a thermal is an updraft. And you can see birds doing this all the time if you're willing to watch them, especially the, the birds of prey. Um, but you'll see birds of prey, they'll hit a thermal and they'll do a little spiral going up and they won't have to put forth much effort at, at all because the air is rising and they're rising with the air column. This is how gliders, you know, whether they're hang gliders or toad gliders, this is how gliders can go great distances. They hit a thermal, they, they do their little spiral up the thermal, they get altitude and then they go further until they get to the next thermal they need to hit. There have been people who have glided for very great distances doing it this way. So like with gliding as we understand it, you're on the cliff, you know there are islands out there. The islands closest to the cliff, the ones you could just fall on almost, they're pretty shitty islands. The ones way out there, maybe you can get to them and they seem pretty amazing. Um, and every gradation in between. That is the great discontinuity. It's not to say that you are guaranteed to end up on nuclear holocaust island or hunting knife island or starvation and pain island. There is no guarantee you have to end up there. But what I am telling you is that there are no guarantees. History has become unstuck. So if you're looking for someone who has a guarantee, you're looking for a grifter. Okay, you're looking for someone to tell you everything's fine, everything's great, buy some crypto, and you'll be able to retire in three years. All I'll tell you is, is that certain concepts like retirement are probably almost over. Done. That era of history is almost done. The era of history where we thought in terms of retirement and Monday through Friday, and all of the structures to include daylight savings time, that's done. That doesn't mean history's done, just the fucking opposite. But those stupid structures, those mind fucks, those ways of keeping you under control are out of control. They can no longer be controlled. It's over. I can tell you the things that are almost over, but I can't tell you what's coming for sure. How good a glider are you? I mean, how good of a pilot of a glider are you? Are you really good at it? Is the human race really good at it? These are the questions. I will say this, some parts of this world will do better than others, just like with the collapse of the Western Roman Empire. Okay, when the Western Roman Empire collapsed in the, in the fifth century AD, when it fell apart, there was still the Eastern Roman Empire that continued until 1452, when the Turks scaled the walls of Constantinople. And now it's Istanbul. That's a thousand years, buddy. A thousand years of Roman civilization, for the most part, Greco-Roman civilization, survived after the last emperors were killed. 
in the West. So there are going to be parts of this world, in my opinion, that will do okay. And there'll be parts of this world that will be horrible. It'll be a day and, light, day and night struggle for existence. There'll be places on this planet where ideas are preserved, where there are libraries and books and people don't forget the past. And there will be other places on this planet that for all intents and purposes are about to enter a dark age. Parts of the United States of America are gonna do okay. There's gonna be a lot of this country that's gonna not do so great. And I don't know how to break this to you, but that's already happening. It's simply going to accelerate. Now, does that mean the end of the world? No. In some ways, it means the beginning. In some ways, it means that the world is about to be renewed. The soil is about to be turned over. That compost heap is about to become something that's going to help you. That's what this means. The soil is going to refresh itself, and there will be a springtime again. In fact... As with the 14th century crisis, a hundred years ago, a hundred years from now, a hundred years from now, this world could enter a renaissance or this world could be in an even worse condition. And I don't know and you don't know. All that I'm truly certain of is that the past at this point is prologue and history is unstuck. So if you want to donate to this podcast... If you want to fund this kind of crazy, if you want to help me get cocaine and build a hooker army, I can launch my forces towards Salt Lake. I can bring forth the great hairless Frenchie. We can rise forth and destroy Salt Lake City, and we will do so in pain. And for Monday, Memorial Day, May the 30th, 2022, Bob Limtok, if you have a loved one that's died in a recent war, I am sorry for your loss. And if you spend today remembering that person, that is a form of respect. And that all I would ask you do is to say, remember the person, remember the love, remember the loss, and try to, try to move on, right? But I would also ask you, just don't glorify the thing that led to the loss. That's the thing I would ask, is that on Memorial Day, what we need to do, what we should do, is remember, memorialize those that we have lost. What we ought not to do is glorify the engine that killed them. This is just a request. You can watch a war movie if you want to. You can tune in to the latest U.S. Army commercial, whatever it is now, Army of One, Army of Two. Who the fuck knows what propaganda they're using now? You can go to the parade. You can shoot off fireworks. You can shoot your guns. But if you truly want to remember and respect the person that you lost, that person, that soldier, that sailor, that marine, that airman, that human being that died in combat, try not to glorify the thing that killed them. And have a great Monday.